On this episode, we cover mobile encryption, we talk to Southwest Microwave in the partner corner, and we go over perimeter defense in the roundtable. Welcome to the SE Crowd, a solutions engineering podcast discussing technical topics with guests from our technology community. And now, today's trending topics. Since remote working has become the norm for many of us now, and there is still a large amount of people waiting to return to their offices, now is as good a time as any to talk about implementing a mobile security strategy, if you haven't already done one by now. It's important, not just for work accounts, but for your personal devices also. On this month's trending topic, we talk about encryption, what it is, why we need it, and how to implement it on mobile devices. The intelligence built into mobile devices today is nothing short of astounding. We don't have to go back far in the history of mobile to see the transformation from Zach Morris' phone to the computers we carry around in our hands today. As our devices become more complex, all the ways to infiltrate those devices become additional avenues for hackers and cyber threats. The weakest link in any security system is still the password. Jokes from pop culture like, the password is password, root themselves in the sad truth that default credentials are more prevalent than not. The introduction of encryption into systems helps to take critical information and that weakest link and mask it from hackers, bots, and hats. So what is encryption? First off, it's a process that uses a math algorithm known as a cipher to hide data information. The importance of hiding data is that you know it hasn't been read or changed. The main piece for encryption to work is known as a key. It's the component that allows for the encryption and decryption of information. Keys are public for encrypting and private for decrypting. Another component of encryption is certificates. Certificates are used to verify that public keys are trusted. Certificates are signed by a certificate authority that guarantees and verifies those public keys. Certificate authorities, or CAs, can be self-signed for use on internal networks or publicly signed by third parties for verification across networks. What is end-to-end -end encryption? End-to-end -end means encryption from where data is generated all the way through to where the client or the user is using it. For VMSs, that's from camera to recorder to client. To understand how to protect data as it travels, you have to know how data exists. Data exists in basically three states. There's data in use, data at rest, and data in motion. Each one of these presents its own issues when applying it to VMSs. Data at rest, or your video storage, it can be easily protected with disk or file system encryption. Data in use is actually the hardest to protect because data has to be decrypted in order to be used. With VMS, this creates the issue of how to protect exposed video or data that's in the cloud or with third-party vendors. The last state, data in motion, is the one that could be considered the most vulnerable as mobile devices present the challenge of protecting data as we switch mobile networks, mobile towers, or even Wi-Fi access points. Any of these can become homes for packet tracers or what's considered man-in-the-middle attacks. So if we're all working remote and data in motion with mobile devices is a big concern, what can we do to protect ourselves? Let's start with some best practices. First, understand industry standards. It's sort of a blanket statement, so let's look at a little bit of a terminology to help clear this up. Encryption has changed throughout the years, starting with types like Secure Socket Layer, SSL, to the more current transport layer security, or TLS. 
Each of these have had revisions building on each other, basically making any prior iterations insecure or untrusted. Advanced Encryption Standards, or AES, was developed in 2001 as a symmetric key system, where one key can do both the encrypting and decrypting of the data. Current standards revolve around TLS 1.2 and the newer TLS 1.3, as well as AES up to 256-bit. Just understand that knowing about the standards puts you in a better position to start asking how to deploy them. Start asking about which software uses what encryptions and is there a better way to protect your data. Protecting your data in motion can also be done with a VPN. VPNs are not new, but installing them on mobile devices is not commonplace. Older generations of mobile phones lack the compute power to handle the VPN and data transmission. The main problem with VPNs is that they're only as fast as the bandwidth traffic they permit. This means that they are not ideal for VMSs on mobile devices that are moving large amounts of data. Let's understand a little bit more about certificates. Certificates have multiple benefits. It's important that certificates can be revoked or set to expire. Using a trusted certificate authority makes it easier to manage your certificates also because it removes the manual process of individually validating each certificate on all of your clients and servers. Using that CA also makes it easy to securely use devices that are not managed by your organization. The necessary trust certificates have already been distributed by the OS vendors. To wrap up, encryption can be deceptively difficult to wrap your head around, but cryptology should be a part of every conversation when planning your cyber defenses. It should be a part of every conversation because it is built into almost all aspects of IT, from your operating systems to devices and appliances to software and browsers. Mobile devices are vulnerable to data breaches, especially when we combine personal and work environments on our devices. Take the time to work with your IT teams to secure your mobile devices with the latest industry standards by incorporating VPNs and certificates to take advantage of the latest encryption options. A vulnerability today may be malicious tomorrow. Hide your data with encryption so that it can't be exploited. You're now listening to the Technology Partner Corner. And today on the Partner Corner, we are joined by Jeff Drews. He is Regional Manager for Southwest Microwave. He takes care of the federal, the military, and the nuclear systems market. Jeff, welcome today. Yes, thank you. Uh, where are you based out of? Well, our offices are in Phoenix. I'm actually out of the Phoenix office as well. That's where our headquarters are. Okay. So I've got a, a brief understanding of what Southwest Microwave uh, does as far as, as some of the applications. What I want to know is... is in our sales meetings and things like that, we generally have a limited amount of time where we get to to talk about things. If you could sum up what Southwest is in a one-minute sort of elevator pitch, what would that sound like? Sure. Yeah. So what we do is we focus on outdoor perimeter detection solutions. Uh, we have a couple different flavors of that, whether it's fence detection with a buried cable system or microwave. But our intent is to uh, detect an intruder onto a property at the earliest point possible with the lowest amount of nuisance alarms. When we're, when we're talking about the, the basis of the products themselves, uh, are we talking fence detection? Is it fiber? Is it underground? Um, is it buried cable? So where do we start at? What does the product look like itself? So I'll have to break that up into three brief uh, answers, but the first one is fence detection. Uh, fiber is the buzzword in the industry. But our solution is not fiber, and the reason it's not, we use a proprietary coax uh, cable that we essentially send a, a pulse down, and based on TDR, we can determine within 
one meter of where in a, a cut or a climb attempt on a fence was. And typically that's five to 10 times higher resolution than the average fiber systems are. So that would be a fence detection system that we offer. Uh, our microwaves, we are Southwest Microwave. We've been selling these since the early 70s. Um, they're essentially microwave radar. Uh, we're looking for we alignment signal between a transmitter and a receiver. And when somebody interrupts that field, uh, we can get an alarm. Now, the thing with microwaves is they're volumetric. So it's not an invisible fence where you have maybe two inches. And if somebody can climb on shoulders and jump over, they're free. Uh, a microwave detection field might be five feet, 10 feet, 15 feet wide. So it gives you a higher level of security than uh, a, an invisible fence, so to say. And then finally, we do a buried cable system, which is um, it's called leaky coax. You've got two cables running in the ground, completely terrain following, creates an RF field. And when that RF field is disturbed, then we can detect an intrusion to within seven feet. And you, you mentioned a term, TDR. Uh, is that a, a time? Time domain reflectometry. Um, essentially, we send a pulse down that cable. When we get a disturbance, it's measured at about 85% of the speed of the light. So it's super fast, but it gives us very precise definition of where that intrusion took place. And it's very repeatable. So when uh, we're looking at the relationship between Southwest and Milestone, you guys are primarily what we would consider an event generator. Actions happen. And then our rules engine is, is the, the glue that we love talking about. How does the integration between Southwest Microwave and Milestone, what does that look like? So we have our field devices. Um, and depending on the size of the perimeter, um, you, you may actually have multiple connections into Milestone. But essentially, our controller would pull all of our field devices and then pass that information on directly into Milestone through a TCP IP connection. And it is, just understanding that it's, it's perimeter detection, are there any sort of targeted verticals? I know your, your, your primary focus isn't fed, but what, where else would we see something like this? Yeah, it's all over. Um, so as you mentioned, I specifically do the government um, uh, as well as the nuclear, commercial nuclear accounts for Southwest Microwave. The uh, critical infrastructure, electric utilities, water treatment, sewage plants, stuff like that, a very big industry for us, transportation. Um, anytime there's, uh, you know, from the, the small mom and pop commercial site that wants to keep the vandals and looters out of their property, a fence detection system can be fairly inexpensive, tied into a camera. Uh, you can get alarms, generate cameras to do things, signal the police. You can do all those things. So it goes from that end all the way up to protecting nuclear missile silos, uh, um, you know, and nuclear generating plants. If if you had to, you know, because so so when our sales team gets in front of an end user and we're starting to define where our partners fit best, one of the things we're kind of looking for is, is not to not to say there's the perfect end user, but if you wanted to be brought in to a meeting with us, who would you want? What are the key players that you'd want at that meeting that you'd have the most influence talking to? Well, we we always look for and I'm surprised I haven't said this this far in this this conversation, but the reality is detection without verification isn't really detection. So if I can detect an intruder, but we don't have cameras on that to verify what that event was, then that's not real detection to us. So the first priority, the first, uh, I guess, category checkbox we want to look for is a customer that has cameras along their outer perimeter. They're looking to detect somebody that comes onto the property, not necessarily waiting for that person to get onto the building. And then they have to have an understanding and a need, an asset or 
um, a liability that's great enough to uh, endure the expense. Now, some of these are not expensive systems, and they can make your camera system work better. Um, sometimes less cameras, um, because if you know where the detection is, you can turn that camera to that place. So it, they're, they're designed to work in, in conjunction with perimeter cameras. To kind of pivot here a little bit, when, when we start looking at a competitive landscape, radar has to come to mind. Now, it's not something you brought up in the beginning with, with this. How does your system compare to or is more, how is it more accurate? How is it, is it different pros, cons, things like that? Where does your product fit in against the competitors? So uh, competitors is a fluctuating word. Um, so with specific, if you're looking at radar systems, there's long range radar, there's short range radar. Radar needs um, a clear line of sight. And it doesn't, it's not optimized when you don't have level terrain because if there's undulations in the terrain and somebody can get through that, those are holes. It also doesn't do great with slow-moving, low-profile targets. We look at radar-type systems that would be tied to a camera as a wide area detection where we're focused on a line detection. You've set a demarcation point that I don't want somebody coming past here. And our systems are specialized to, um, A, reduce nuisance alarms. That's the biggest name in this industry for us is almost everybody can detect, but can you determine what's a real problem versus a, a nuisance alarm? And then can you take that nuisance alarm rejection and mitigate weather situations? So we're looking, and I have a clear demarcation point, and I have to be able to work in heavy snow, in heavy rain, in fog, in dust, and still be able to detect where some analytics and cameras may have more issues with that outdoor environment. Radar may have more issues with the undulating terrain and, and it's wider range where we have a clear demarcation. point. Uh, to go back to what we were talking about before with the, the partnership and the integration, what would you say is the biggest gotcha or the catch that happens when we're, when we, when, when you're setting up your system and somebody's setting up a parallel milestone system and to bring those two systems together, is there ever, have you come up against anything that, that's, that's uh, problematic? Yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things because it's the simplest thing, but it, uh, I would say five out of 10 tech support calls end up with this one issue. Um, our controller has two different passwords that have to be set up. One to access our controller and to do some internal programming and one for milestone system to communicate with it. And that's not always realized. And so people change one password and put the wrong password in the milestone side and bang their head against the wall because it doesn't talk. And I know that sounds simple, but I, in, in reality, that's probably the biggest um, little issue that comes up. It's always the small things. We've got the simple three checks that uh, our, my colleague Justin Hollis likes to talk about, but it's domain, time, and firewall which are the three easiest things to look at when you're setting up computers. And it's so often overlooked in the marketplace and, and going to market. What are some of uh, the biggest challenges you guys are up against? Um, lack of understanding. Um, there's a, there's a competitive marketplace out there. We've been doing this for a long time. Um, there's a lot of companies that come up and create similar type technologies that we build our equipment for 15, 20 year lifespans in outdoor environments. Some, should, some say we should probably not build it to that quality. We increase sales by selling more often. Um, but the reality is 
and I sort of mentioned this previously, every system out there, if, if not everyone, almost everyone can detect the name of the game is nuisance alarm rejection. And that's not a difficult task to overcome because with a fence detection system, there's different types of fencing. There's not every fence is built the same. So if you don't have a system that can um, handle fluctuations in fence fabric, if you don't have a system that has repeatable, accurate resolution, you don't know what zone your intruder came up in. Um, so we, there's a lot of things that come on the market, but they can't meet the specifications or the lifespan or the things that we do. Uh, but getting an, that understanding to a customer who only is hearing the sales pitch or that sales pitch, that's not always an easy thing. And I'm sure that all industries face that to some level. One of the things you just mentioned there in, in talking about uh, specifications and, and types of fence, are we looking, like, what kind of prerequisites are we looking at here? Is it, it, do you need it? Do you need chain link? Is it 250 foot sections? You know, what are we looking at as far as like a minimum size project versus, you know, the maximum size project? Uh, so as far as specifications, uh, Southwest Microwave uh, designs, tests, our equipment um, and has installations all over. We have 70,000 installations in a hundred plus countries. Um, we, the primarily the world used to be chain link. It's migrating towards these ornamental decorative steel fencing, the Ameristar impasse or uh, certain types of wrought iron fencing. We actually are unique in the industry that a single run of cable, we can transfer from a chain link to a, a steel type fence without having to coil up cable to separate zones. We can only do that because of our super high resolution. Now, we don't want your fence falling apart, but we are not the ones that are telling you you have to replace your fence from the start before you put a fence sensor on. Uh, when you look at some of the other factors, the other systems that we have, buried cable is a, um, a great solution. It's aesthetically pleasing. Once the grass grows back in or it's covered up, you don't know where that field or that detection field starts or stops and it can follow that terrain. The issue is it needs clear space. If you don't have 30 feet of clear space, we don't want you putting in a buried cable system. Um, microwaves need flat terrain. So they, like radar systems, because it's similar technology, don't do well with undulations because it creates holes in, in the field. So we, we take a lot of time and effort in getting involved in the projects from the beginning to help the customers design the right solutions or the right layers for their specific environment. So as we start to wrap up here, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, so we're on Marketplace. Um, I think that would be the, the first start. You can, um, the, the Milestone Marketplace has been a, a, a good tool that we've really enjoyed over the last year. Uh, southwestmicrowave.com. Uh, my contact information is on there as well as our other sales managers. Great. I want to thank you for joining us and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. My pleasure. Thank you. And now let's join the Engineering Roundtable. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, today on the Roundtable, we are joined by Justin, Andrew, and Carl. I'm Harry Irvin. Uh, what I kind of want to talk about today uh, and, and, and lead these guys into it is uh, following up with Southwest and the conversation that you just listened to is talking more about perimeter control, alternatives to exterior monitoring, and then uh, since you know we're all returning to work and we've got things going on, how we can start to transition the exterior control that we have to more of an interior position. Uh, Justin, one of the things you were just talking about is uh, one of one of our partners, Hanwa. They have an occupancy control 
analytic that you have the ability to bring into us into milestone yeah we were on a call with the uh Hanwha folks last week and they were actually showing us a bunch of features uh on the cameras that they're embedding um at no no additional charge and i'm not sure if that's just on a certain tier of product or what i would imagine it is but um yeah they were showing occupancy counting um on on board the camera and that had kind of a, a dashboard interface similar to our our customer dashboard where you could actually just have a, a monitor output and it shows basically the max capacity and whether you're uh able to to uh, accommodate additional people to stay within that max capacity in red and green uh and that's pretty simple and cool right you can keep track of how many in how many out you run have a running tally um but the cool thing is that you can actually i mean that's pretty cool to start with but on top of that you can actually slave uh, up to eight cameras together so if you had multiple points of entrance to that facility um, you can keep track of that uh, and, and eight that's it's quite a number you know with with that was that um is that did that require a special camera or was that just an analytic running on any camera they had and did the, did the camera have to be mounted above the doorway to get so some sort of line of sight uh so i'm sure there are some you know with any analytic and some uh gotchas right but but no they weren't pointed straight down uh they were kind of what you would consider like a traditional entrance camera where you're you know back away from the door looking at it um so pretty straightforward as far as that goes um as far as the special camera you know like i said i'm not sure if it's a you know like they're top of the line series only that includes these features. They said it was included at no additional cost, but you know, generally, generally that's how that works is the, the higher tiered products include for free while the lower ones aren't capable or, or have it as an add-on. I, I know um, with, uh, so going back outside for a second, I, cause I've dealt before, I was a sales rep for a little while and I had dealt with um, fence detection and using fiber and things like that. Um, has anyone ever actually come across any any projects where they've they've had to integrate or work with that sort of a technology? And did they know? Did you see any like pros or cons to to fence detection versus like um, like a line crossing in a camera or or like a perimeter fender? I've worked with some fences. Uh, I think it was actually satellite on a government facility, um, and it wasn't it was it was not used exclusively. Um, as the only means of defense it was tied into to other things it was one of many they were using um defense they were using optical um with with the uh, tripwires um virtual tripwires i can't remember what analytic we were actually using there um and then that was also paired in with with um, an access control integration and um and then us of course so it was just kind of one of the arrows in the in the quiver if you will that that layered defense always produces your best results not relying on one thing letting everything work together right yeah i, I would totally agree with that now carl you, you you were uh you were an integrator for a while right when did you have any projects where you worked some sort of some like perimeter defense like that? And I mean, because you brought up the idea of that integrated sort of multi-layer attack to it. 
Yeah, that, that, that defense in depth. Um, I've never tied fence security into Milestone. It's always been through an access control system, uh, but I have done some level of fence detection. The, the big difference that I can see from my understanding of a lot of the analytics for the radar is that they're looking for crossing into an area when sometimes your actual fence sensors can just tell you if there's a vibration on the fence. And normally the analytics were built into the actual fence controllers that get mounted direct to the fence that I, that I worked with. And they were able to tell you if this is a person shaking it versus a person trying to climb and breach the fence versus the wind. So they had some of those built in, but it was all done inside the hardware. Still cool stuff though. Yeah, I, I've played with a couple of them before where um, there's a couple ways of doing it. You can hang, you can do a direct bury where you basically run the cable in the ground near the fence and it senses the vibration as you come up to the fence. Uh, and then others where you actually have to hang the, the, the cable on the fence um, where it's not the ground moving, but as opposed to actually physically grabbing and shaking. Uh, and it's interesting because some of those, those, those analytics that they run and process, um, there's a physical vibration. It's kind of like your voice has different tonality and things like that. But um, a ladder being put up on a fence versus a person grabbing and, and scaling and climbing all have different vibration patterns and that you can trigger different alarms off of the different types of um, uh, approaches that, that come into it. It's kind of an audio signature, I guess. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very similar to something like that. Um, Andrew, have you worked with, I, I know uh, Justin said satellite for that job, but have you ever done anything with radar or anything along those lines? Uh, yeah, a bit. Definitely not from the integrator side, uh, but I've uh, been been involved with a couple of projects with like Spotter RF, where you, you they went ahead and deployed that in kind of a similar situation to secure a perimeter, but instead they used the uh, Spotter RF radar units to go ahead and try to keep track of when there was an intrusion. Um, this particular case I'm thinking of is actually for a school district, which a lot of their high schools and things like that are in not so great areas over here in Southern California. So they went ahead and implemented those like specifically in out in different, uh, like the football fields and baseball fields area. And they would go ahead and trigger those alerts and also bring in the plugin that they have directly into milestone. So that way you can actually see kind of a visual field of view of where those uh, radars are kind of covering and where the intrusion is actually occurring. So you, you mentioned schools, uh, and I'm going to direct this one back to Carl uh, from the integrator eyes of it. Um, what other verticals did you did you see perimeter and you know that kind of? I, I mean, obviously government with with power stations and things like that. But what other verticals are there out there that that requires kind of a technology? You know, everything I've found, I'm in rural middle America. So a lot of my sites I came to were those power substations and a lot of those little unmanned buildings that no one should be coming up to. So they use it as a good way to figure out if this is a deer or an animal walking up the station or a person a lot of times for those. But but really, it was a lot of power substations, um, schools sometimes, uh, some of the smaller schools, oddly enough, because it would be a small one building schoolhouse out in the middle of nowhere and they need to know if someone's approaching it um, uh, even as we had some of the school shootings going on in the height of some of that I was working as an integrator and we had a couple very small school districts where it was a 
schoolhouse with no more than a couple dozen kids in it and they end up deploying radar to know if someone was pulling up their driveway because no one should be pulling up that school that they don't know is coming so a lot of it was that and getting the a lot of times was the distance and the clarity of the notification uh, I mean, with video only pointing out there it's kind of hard to say is this a person way off in the distance or how close they get to us so some of those things uh, as far as perimeter detection as far as interior perimeter detection things like that how many um how often do you see access control being either the linchpin or the weak point of who can get in and out of a building specifically to education that's that's always always a struggle um, everyone wants to use access control to limit those entry points into a building especially as you talk the active shooter or the irate parent situation but it was always very difficult to really limit those down uh, most times i found that access control ended up being a more of a convenience tool for scheduling doors open as opposed to a true security tool until there was a national incident or something nearby then their focus seemed to change and really lock it down but access control is always what i really pushed uh, customers towards when they're really trying to secure their building you need to have that layered defense of only one entry into the building making sure using video and analytics to both those preventative controls and those forensics controls afterwards to see what's happened. So again, my recommendation always is the defense in depth of more than one technology to protect yourself or your building. And just to take that idea, Andrew, you had said that the school used radar, was it? Yeah. Yeah. They used radar. How did, how did they, how did they partner that with, with access control and, 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 what did the full the, the total package look like coming into into milestone as far as alarms and analytics or or how do how is it how is it partnered um if i recall correctly they were using a mag um so we weren't really doing anything in particular with uh, their access control system and uh our system as far as part rf i'm not sure if they were actually imp- integrating anything specifically to the access control system i don't believe so I think they were actually taking it to a more camera-centric uh, focus, and it's more of trying to keep track of who's coming on to the property, especially because they were having a lot of uh, issues of vandalism, you know, kids hopping over the fence, spray painting, stuff like that. So I'll do uh, one quick roundtable before we we kind of wrap this up. What is the coolest sort of either interior analytic or exterior analytic or technology that you've seen um, out in the field when it comes to just controlling access to a perimeter or? Say I have when it's not related to what we do at all. No, go ahead. Let me hear it. So for me, the most interesting uh, entry technology that I've worked with quite a bit is is actually uh, for schools, K-12, and it is verifying that that person should be in the building. So a lot of times those systems uh, like Raptor and a couple others are tied to national databases of uh, people that should not be in a school. And when you walk into school, you need to put up your ID, go through, scan it, and actually get a badge, do a real background check. Uh, in middle America, that's been a big shift. Um, I don't know if it hits that in other areas, but it used to be you could kind of just walk up and smile at the front office then walk in the school that we've I've seen that change and actually seeing who's going in is very cool. Uh, the one that, that I'll throw out here um, was actually uh, an idea that one of our other engineers brought up, but the idea that access points are controllable, they're controllable spots of how many people are connected to it. 
And depending upon where those access points are located in and throughout buildings, you can actually get the rough idea of occupancy based on the number of connected devices to an access point. So if there's, uh, you know, because there's heat maps and things like that, when it comes to um, wireless networks, you can actually find saturation points where there's too many people congregating or too many people in a, in a particular region. And then you can actually then send the, the crowd control to disperse and make sure it's everyone, everyone's social distancing. I thought that was cool. So I have a couple that I'll throw out there. Some of them aren't overly complicated, but just some kind of cool things. Um, Axis has some onboard camera um, analytics that are used for perimeter uh, intrusion detection and stuff like that. And historically they were add-ons. Uh, recently in the last oh, couple months, they've actually released those uh, to be free. So they were free initially on the Q series. And now they push that down to pretty much any camera that runs a firmware that will support it. Uh, all the way down to the, the P, the M, the I think that what the FA series or whatever the low series is. So you can run fence guard, motion guard, and loitering guard right on the camera for free. And then support uh, with support of dynamic events, we were able to ingest those into Milestone and do anything. So I'm running, uh, for example, at my house, I'm running fence guard with a, a line across my driveway. So anytime someone pulls in my driveway, I get a notification on my mobile device. So that's cool. And that's just because it's, it's cool. It's free. Everybody already has the components, right? For the most part. Um, the other one that I found out about yesterday is Bosch analytics on board the camera. Um, they've had some for quite a while, but the one I saw yesterday that just blew my mind was, um, yeah, we always hear about uh, object classification, right? So um, cars versus people versus trucks. That's pretty standard today. We all think brief cam can identify truck, car, whatever, red, blue. What Bosch was showing was their IVA, and I believe it was called camera trainer. And you actually train it to, to identify an object. And when they told me that we were gonna be doing this, I was thinking, okay, you know, normal car, truck, whatever. But you actually were able to object uh, detect um, like a, so I'll just back it up. The example we, we were using, we were working with a UPS truck. I was on a, a case with a three letter agency and they're like, well, we want to be able to distinguish between FedEx and UPS trucks. And I, was, I just laughed. I was like, all right, good luck with that. But uh, <laughs> the, the Bosch guy got on and he's, he's like, well, yeah, we can, we can do that. Um, we stepped through this thing called camera trainer. And what it does is basically you uh, draw a box around. In this case, we drew it around the logo on the UPS truck. Um, and, and we trained it that that was the, the good, right? And then we stepped through a couple frames, different angles and stuff, and said, this is good. And then you had, um, every time you clicked a good, it automatically generated like 15 or 20 um, negative. Uh, you know, I, I'm totally botching this up, but. Um, but alternatives not, is what it was, not negatives, but alternatives. Correct. Not, not correct, right. Yeah, absolutely. So it would grab places out of the grass and the pavement, whatever, that this is not what I'm looking for. And then we were able to create kind of like I was talking about with the user-defined events on the access cameras, not user-defined events, the um, dynamic events. We were able to create a rule on the Bosch camera called UPS truck. And then we could do a hardware replace wizard on the milestone side 
and pull in that dynamic event that just said UPS truck. So then he was able to get an alert on his phone or in the smart client or wherever that there was a UPS truck out there. And that just blew my mind because I could actually, I could actually use that right now because I am waiting for a truck to show up. Yeah, so well, that's beyond cool. I need to put that in my house. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and we were talking about this. It was uh, one of our CBMs and, and uh, you know, we were kind of chatting on the side. We're like, hey, you know, I could set this up. And obviously, Bosch is not going to endorse this, but I could set this up to where when the ex-wife shows up, I automatically send a text or an email to my kids to get ready to go or, you know, whatever. And he was like, yeah, I could I could set one up for when my dog's on the front porch to let it in, you know, all kinds of, you know, obviously. And, it's, and I don't think that they <clears throat> will say that they're going to be doing facial detect, you know, recognition or detection or anything along those lines. But it was pretty cool to be able to identify the different trucks based on logos and, and things of that nature. So there's a, a lot of things that are that are coming, you know, that are out there on the horizon that I, I think we'll be able to do a whole lot more cool stuff with in the future. Very cool. And on that note, uh, we're going to wrap this up. I just want to thank uh, Justin, Andrew and Carl for joining me today. And uh, we will talk to you guys uh, on the next show. Thanks. That's a wrap on this show. Join us next time when we talk to the Boring Lab in the Partner Corner and we go over basic troubleshooting in the roundtable.